Good morning. Welcome. We are glad that you are here to worship with us this morning. Whether this is your thousandth Sunday to be in this room or your very first, um, we are glad that you're here um, and we are here with you to worship. We're going to begin this morning singing the Lion and the Lamb. We're going to sing out to Jesus, who is both the Lion of Judah uh, and the Lamb of God. And, And I love the chorus of this song, the way it says, Our God is a lion, the Lion of Judah. He's fighting our bat. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb who was slain for the sin of this of the world. His blood breaks the chains. We're going to sing together. Would you stand with us? Let's sing. 
are worthy of all of this, of this and so very much more. Amen. Maybe we seated, John. Well, good morning. And may the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with every single one of you today. Now, to all of those who are hurt by the lies of this world, and to all of those who are disillusioned by the empty promises of this world, it is good that you are here today. It's good because today you will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel invites every single one of us to trust in Jesus. For Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And through him who is the truth, we have access to the Father. So in a world of relativism, lies, and empty promises, our hearts can rest in assurance at knowing that we have placed our trust in the Lord Jesus. Well, good morning. My name is John, and I am one of your elders. And it's a pleasure to be here with each and every single one of you all. And uh, to give the announcements and to make the call to worship. Our first uh, announcement for today is that uh, for those of y'all who are newer to, we have uh, CBC 101. And uh, CBC 101 is a great opportunity to get to know uh, the church, to connect with other people, and to uh, get to become familiar with the different ministries of CBC. Uh, they will be meeting on September 12th at 11 o'clock in the Java Room. And so we invite everyone to sign up at the Grow kiosk. And also, if you've been visiting for a while and you feel like CBC is your home, we're also offering a one-hour class on October 10th at 11 o'clock. Uh, likewise, you'll be able to uh, sign up at the Grow Kiosk. And uh, finally, we have a children's ministry will start uh, their fall program on September 12th, and they still need volunteers. And so to help out, uh, we have... Uh, uh, we're asking those who are interested to sign up, and as you can see, on the, we have a lot of needs there at 9.30 and 11 o'clock, so if you're interested, you can email uh, Ann Austin at that email right there. So uh, I'm going to ask everyone to stand up, and we're going to make the call to worship, and the call of worship comes from Psalm 57, verses 7 through 11. It says, My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing Yes, I will sing praises. Awake, my glory. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awake in the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the people. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your loving kindness is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. He is worthy of such exaltation, for his loving kindness is great. This is a new song we've sung a couple of times before. If, uh, if it's hard for you to pick up, listen to these words. There's no other so sure and steady as Jesus. We come to him this morning. Sure and steady, my 
your name for it's a name of glory and of power and of strength it's in that name that we sing and we come before you Wonderful to uh, be able to declare the name of Jesus together to honor our Lord today. When uh, we moved from Illinois to Pennsylvania, we had uh, some friends in Illinois who gave us a gift card to a restaurant in Pennsylvania. And um, they did that because the name of the restaurant was kind of funny, not because they knew the food was good. So after a uh, short period of time, Amy and I, probably our youngest daughter, went to that restaurant. And uh, I have really low standards for food, let me tell you. But uh, this challenged those standards, and and we said, you know, we use this gift card, uh, that's good, we're not probably going to come back here. Well, for Christmas that year, someone in the congregation gave us gift cards to that place. So we thought, well, let's, let's try it again. So we, we went back, and um, it was pretty much the same. Probably not going to go back. Well, it wasn't long after that that we got two different cards. See, the, the issue with uh, serving as a pastor in a church of thousands of people is that they know you, and you might not know them. And so what we didn't realize, what there were people in the restaurant that day who knew me, and saw we were in this restaurant and thought, they must love this place. And so they gave us, we had now two more gift cards to this place. And I said, Amy, we cannot use these or this is going to go on forever. I think we ended up giving those gift cards to somebody else. Did you ever give a gift to someone only to discover they didn't really want it? I have. This series called Acceptable Worship is about what is acceptable to God in worship. We, we want to understand from Scripture what defines the kind of worship that pleases God so that we give Him what He deserves and desires. Today we're going to look at one of the most definitive statements on worship in all of the Bible, and it's spoken by Jesus Himself. It's recorded in John chapter 4 and familiar with most, if not all of you. The scene opens with Jesus sitting beside a well, tired from a long journey, and he's alone because his disciples have gone grocery shopping. And a Samaritan woman arrives at the well, and Jesus asks her for a drink. And this is shocking to her. It's scandalous. Why? Because of gender bias and ethnic prejudice. The gender bias. She was a woman. He was a Jewish male. And the rabbis said a lot of things about this, such as, it is forbidden to give a woman any greeting. How thoughtful. Things like a man should not talk to someone else's wife because of the gossip it would cause. So there was some gender bias involved, but the bigger problem was that she was a Samaritan. As John 4, 9 explains, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So there was animosity between these two people groups that was well known, a deep divide of religion and culture. There was disrespect. There was a history of bad blood. If you wanted to insult the Jew, you called him a Samaritan. 
wanted to really insult him, a Samaritan woman. And yet Jesus breaks all these social rules by engaging her. And in their conversation, we discover another reason why it was scandalous for Jesus to talk with this woman. Because she says she has no husband, and Jesus says, you're right, you've had five husbands, and now you're living with your boyfriend. She had to be shocked that Jesus would know this about her. And so she says, as we pick it up in John 4, verse 19, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So you notice she, she perceives he's a prophet. He knows something about her. How could he possibly know this? And then she immediately changes the subject. And maybe it's because she doesn't want to talk about her lifestyle choices. Or maybe it's because if Jesus is a prophet, she has a really important question to ask him about worship, about God. Her religious custom said that worship had to happen on this mountain. The Jews said it had to happen in Jerusalem. So which one is right, she wants to know. She's on the surface. She's concerned with really superficial issues. She mentions our fathers, speaking of the Samaritan people. This is about tradition, ritual, religious custom. She asks about this mountain or this temple, and it's about geography, location, sacred space. And Jesus takes the subject to a whole different level. He cuts to the core of what acceptable worship is. He explodes the categories that this woman puts out there and says real worship has nothing to do with geography. It's not a particular location. The the essence of worship can't be found on your special mountain or in our special city of Jerusalem. And that's astounding. Because the, uh, the holy city of Jerusalem was the center for Jewish worship and Jewish life. So how could an, an observant Jew say this kind of thing? And that's what Jesus was. He was an observant Jew. But Jesus declares that things have changed. And so here is what follows the key statement on what defines genuine worship. Verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here, Jesus says, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. So the grammatical emphasis in the sentence is on the word true. True worshipers. True, which means genuine, real, authentic. The only people genuinely worshiping God are those who worship in spirit and truth. Anything else is not real. True worship isn't defined by a location or confined to it. True worship is not a continuation of human tradition. The only acceptable worship happens in spirit and truth. Now the Greek phrase here that uh, Jesus uses, enumetai kaileithia, in spirit and truth. And I've lined up the English words underneath them so that you can see. The preposition in governs both of those nouns. It doesn't say in spirit and in truth. It, It just says in spirit and truth. In other words, this is not two separate characteristics. This is one. This is one. So what does this mean? Well, let's talk through a little bit of this. First of all, realize that authentic worship is only possible for the born again. As Jesus says earlier in John, 
I tell you the truth that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. So understanding what it means to worship in Spirit understands that spiritual rebirth is necessary. A few years ago, my daughters gave me a subscription to Ancestry.com, and um, I spent, like, the first time I worked on it, I got to my great-grandfather, who I'm named after, John Henry Bukema. He was born in 1868. And no, we've never met, just to clarify that. In fact, uh, I just recently received a Bible with his name in it that's uh, about 200 years old, uh, so it predates him, uh, but that, that's cool to, to hang on to. Um, we've never met, and, and we never would, except that we've both experienced spiritual rebirth. So we will meet one day because we are born again. The only way I could enter the Bukema family was by being born, and the only way I could enter God's family was by being reborn, and that spiritual rebirth does not happen by some outwardly religious act. It's not passed on through family genetics or country of origin. It's an inner rebirth brought about by God himself. And without that, worship can't happen. It cannot happen. Someone, not not worship of God, anyway. Someone who hasn't been reborn might attend a worship service, might be moved by it, might benefit from it, but they can't actually worship until they are born into the family of God. And if you have been spiritually reborn, it doesn't mean that you will automatically worship acceptably. But it's impossible if you have not been reborn. I've seen many uh, young people grow up in church and then go off to college, to university, and not follow Jesus in any discernible way for the years after that. And and hoping to change that, uh, some say that worship services have to be more engaging to students. But the real problem is more likely that these folks have not been born again. That they don't know, they don't understand, they haven't believed, they haven't accepted the good news of Jesus. Now, worship services should be open to all, welcoming to all, accessible to all, but only those born again by the Spirit can truly worship. That's the import of Jesus' words here. Your spirit can't engage otherwise. It will be lifeless. The other side of this is that authentic worship is only possible through Jesus. As John 14, 6 says, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the embodiment of truth. Because the Savior has come, it's possible for sinners to be forgiven. Even an outcast woman with five ex-husbands living with her boyfriend is embraced. When you embrace the Savior, you've got to come to Jesus or you don't know God. And that's a, a message that's increasingly unpopular in our day, and it sounds very bigoted and narrow-minded, because your friend who is an atheist or a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Muslim or a Jew is going to really find that offensive, most likely. And will say something like, you mean that unless I accept Jesus, I'm lost, you're condemning me? Uh, that Even though I'm religious, even though I'm a good person? No, I'm not condemning you. This I'm just sharing what Jesus says It's a very difficult and delicate conversation to have. Let me put it in these terms, that 
any act of worship, no matter how passionate and sincere, if not centered on Jesus, is not true. It's not true worship. That's how Jesus defines it. That's how the Bible defines it. No matter how sincere it is. And that can happen in a Christian church as well. For example, a number of years ago when the, the church I served, we were preparing to start a worship service on Saturday evenings. And so I took a bunch of my staff to a church about an hour and a half, two hours away that did Saturday evening services. And uh, at the time, we had about 2,000 people in four services. And this church we went to had about over 8,000 people. And the, the service that we went to that night was nice. Um, good things happened. But on the ride home, uh, one of the pastors pointed out that none of the songs we sang mentioned the name of Jesus. It was astounding to me to realize that. Like, we sang songs, not a single one of them mentioned Jesus in any way. So we'd sung about God, but you see, worship can't stop there. We're not just theists. You understand that? We're not just theists who believe in a God. We're Christians who believe God has been ultimately revealed in Jesus. And that's why Jesus could say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one, Jesus said. So apart from Christ, we cannot worship. Um, He's the truth who reveals who God is. And, And so authentic worship is focused on Jesus. He is the eternal Son of God, born of a virgin who carried our sins to the cross where he was put to death, but three days later raised to life, then ascended to heaven, is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and will one day return to establish his kingdom forever. Now, when we look back at this verse, you notice that it says the Father is seeking people to worship. That God himself is looking for this kind of worshiper. Seeking, the the Greek word is zeteo, and it's the same word used uh, of the shepherd who left 99 sheep to seek the one that was lost. Same word. Jesus used that word again when he told of the woman who'd lost a coin, and she sought, she, she looked for it everywhere. She hunted every corner of the house looking for it. So you've got to appreciate God is searching. He is hunting. He is pursuing people who are true worshipers. See, I take worship seriously because God is looking for it. The Lord Almighty. I I picture Almighty God examining my life during the week to see if I am worshiping with my work or I'm worshiping my work. that, That Almighty God is looking at my life this week to see if my interactions with other people are carried out in reverence to God, the power of the Spirit, to see if my life is directed toward Him in spirit and truth. I picture the Maker of the universe searching this gathering today, right now, for those who are here in spirit and truth. How much of this service is acceptable to Him? How many of us are actually worshiping in a way that counts as true worship? You say, well, what, what does that look like? Well, based on what we learn here, let's look at some qualities, four qualities of spirit and truth worship. First of all, it's alive. 
It's alive. Jesus said the Spirit is life. So he talks about worshiping in spirit. That there must be, it must be alive. That's the difference between spirit and flesh. Spirit is life. Flesh is death. See, fleshly worship is carried out simply by human effort. Fleshly worship is about things like performance or keeping up tradition or being entertained or sticking with a routine or showing off or making myself feel better or going through the motions. Any aspect of worship that is in that vein, that show or performance for us is an abomination to God. If my goal is somehow to impress you or to, God forbid, entertain you, I should be chased from the building. If the band is simply performers of quality music seeking to please us, they should disband rather than band. If your idea of worship is that you show up at the right place at the right time and do the right things, that is death, death, death. Worship in spirit is alive. And that's going to look different between different cultures. I participated in worship services in, in countries like Israel and Haiti and Thailand and Greece and Nepal. I've spoken to black churches, Chinese churches, Hispanic churches, Dutch churches, German churches, Scandinavian churches. I've participated in denominations such as Christian Reformed and Anglican and Congregational and Assembly of God and Brethren and several kinds of Presbyterians and Baptists and Methodists. And some have danced and shouted. Others have barely raised an eyebrow throughout. But in most cases, there were people who worshipped and people who did not. It's the breath of the Spirit that fills us with life. And and you can't fake life for very long. Worship in Spirit is alive because it focuses on the living Jesus. And by believing, you have life in his name. The second quality is that it's unlimited. That's the point Jesus makes here. That this worship is not bound to a time or place. So rather than being restricted to a temple or to some other holy space, Jesus is the door to worship anytime, any location. John Piper once wrote that Jesus is where you meet God anywhere on the planet today. Well, I think that's a little limiting. Jesus is where you meet God anywhere, outer space, anywhere in the universe today. So you can worship God surely without coming to church. In fact, you must be worshiping God outside of corporate worship or this gathering, or your life will not be very lively. Your whole life should be and can be an act of worship because Jesus has come and he opened up the way to God our Father through giving us constant unfailing access. And of course there's also biblical instruction and example of the necessity for us to gather in corporate worship because the power is multiplied when we're together in this. There's a combination of elements of of gifts and energy that produces something mightier and more unique than can happen on our own, as we must worship on our own as well. Because of Jesus, whether there are two of us or 2,000 of us, we can enter into the presence of God most holy. Our soul can be settled as we celebrate that we have a Savior who is greater than all our sin. Our Redeemer is a rock on which we stand through any storm. We have unlimited access. That's a a quality of spirit and truth worship. A third quality is that it is most concerned with God and least concerned with self. Uh, Barner Research found that most Americans expected a worship time to satisfy or please themselves not to honor and please god 
It was a shocking finding. Because uh, the report said this: few worship service regulars, as people go to worship regularly, saw worship as something they do primarily for God. Few of them. A substantially larger percentage of attenders claim that attending worship services is something they do for personal benefit and pleasure. That's shocking. That's anti-biblical. Imagine going to a wedding, not a wedding of a relative. Let's say a, a friend of yours, their, their son or daughter is getting married, and you're invited to that. And you go to that, that ceremony and, the, and the, the reception, and afterwards you say, I didn't get anything out of that at all. Well, it's not about you. You're there to witness. You're there to share joy. You're there to show support. You're there to bring a gift. And even more so in worship, we are to participate, to give to God, to declare His worth. Because worship is foremost about God. When what we need, when what we want, when what we prefer becomes primary, then we've missed genuine worship. The, the priority is God-centeredness. Then something else we see in this text is the fourth quality is that it's worth sharing. It was when Jesus told the Samaritan woman that he was the Messiah, she left her water jar and she went back to her people. And she said, come and see. I believe it's the Christ. And they all went out to see Jesus. And the scripture says that many believed in him because of her testimony. So here this gal with five ex-husbands living with her boyfriend has met Jesus, the Savior who is able to rescue everyone and anyone regardless of gender, nationality, or depth of sin, and that is good news. When we experience the saving grace of God, it fuels genuine worship. It inspires us to mission. Worship in spirit and truth stirs us to share with others the reality of this God that we have tasted. And what is it that we want others to come and see? That was the message this woman went for. Come and see. What, what do we want others to come and see? I, I heard people say you know, things like, come and see, finally, a church that does hymns. Or uh, come and see our children's program. Come and see a fantastic band. Uh, come and see a great light show. Come and see a, an impressive building. Come and see a church that has good coffee for a change. Come and see uh, an in-depth Bible study. Come and see a large missions program. No. Come and see a church that is all about Jesus. Come and see Jesus. And we enter the presence of God through Jesus. He's the door. He's the only way. In Him is real life. And when, when we're genuine worshipers, it will saturate all of life and it will inspire us to, to share with others the reality of Jesus. And as we truly honor God, our, that worship flows into mission and we invite others to meet Jesus and become worshipers too. So let me just remind you of this basic element that true worship focuses on the guest of honor. I think all of us need to be reminded of that. I, uh, I saw an article this week about the top five worst gifts to give your spouse. Right? I pay attention to those kind of things. Right? <laughs> top five worst gifts to give your spouse. So Christmas is coming, and I know some of you guys aren't going to think about that until December 23rd, but let, here, pay attention. All right? Number one, a vacuum. You understand that. 
Number two, a scale. Number three, a gym membership. Number four, a hair removal kit. Number five, this is the mistake I've made. A new perfume or cologne. Because you give that and you're basically saying, you know, I don't like how you smell. Try this. Often, we give gifts that we prefer or have some benefit to us. We have to remember who the guest of honor is and how to honor him. This party is for God. Our desires and wants and needs aren't unimportant. Understand, they're not unimportant. But they come far down the list of priorities. And it's our human tendency to put our preferences high up on the list. But the Father is seeking genuine worshipers who come to him in spirit and truth. And through the years, in all the variety of complaints that I've heard about worship services, almost never does it have really anything to do with spirit and truth. It's about style of music or types of instruments that are used or not used. It's about sound levels and lighting and the amount of standing that we do or the absence of the American flag or the time of the service or the fact that I don't wear a robe or that I don't wear a tie or that I don't wear an Hawaiian shirt or I don't wear skinny jeans or I do wear skinny jeans. And to say things such as, I can't worship unless there are guitars or there's an organ or there's a choir or there's an orchestra or there's a drum kit or there's a fog machine or there's classic hymns or contemporary songs is to miss true worship entirely. Jesus is the way. And I long for corporate worship so caught up in the glory of God that everything else fades into the background. And what we say and what we sing and what we think are centered on Jesus. And if we keep the focus in the right place, we'll be overwhelmed with the presence of our most holy God. The Father is looking, searching for true worshipers today. And if you've been born again by the Spirit through faith in Jesus, will you join me in honoring Him? Let us worship the one who was obedient to the point of death on a cross, For God has exalted him and given him the name above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you declare how we can best honor you and approach you. May our worship be acceptable in the way that you count it, the way that you declare you are pleased. Lord, you are worthy of all glory and honor and adoration. And in our humanness, it is so difficult for us to give you all that you deserve and desire. But Lord, by your Spirit, enliven us. In your truth, inform us in a way that speaks to your glory. May that happen even now as we sing your praises together. In the name of your Son and our only Savior, Jesus. Amen. We will conclude this morning singing again of the great name of Jesus. Would you stand with us?
time. I want you to sing with us and to lift up the name of Jesus, who is holy, 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 God most high and God most worthy. Benediction from 2 Peter. Now may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and for all eternity. Amen. Go in peace. You stood before creation. Eternity in your hand You spoke the earth into motion My soul now to stand You stood before my fear. 